know what I'm saying? I know yep. what you're saying. Mm, I'm walking here. So, Andy, um, I didn't have time because <laughs> I of love your accent. my accent. Not you, Paul. I love oh. Paul's accent. What did I say? What did I do? <laughs> Nothing. So you, you just act like what friend. I did. Exactly what I did. I'm walking here. That's, do I sound like that? Do I seriously sound, you sound like exactly that? like that? Yeah. You sound exactly like that all the time, wise guy. I'm going. I'm going. I'm, I'm flying over to, to England, and I'm going to just start acting like a Terminator, taking people out until I find you. Are you it's all right. Based, based on on the the last film, nobody will watch you anyways. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert! All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert! Shields up. What shields? Your Starfleet officers. Now start acting like it. Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple, gank. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen. To the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Bloody hell. Hello and welcome to Listen to the Prophets. I am your host and with me today, as always, and forever. Always I don't know where it's going with that. Forever. <laughs> forever. That's all the words of it I know. That you heard was... Uh, Paul uh, Copacabana Spataro. My name is Paul. I'm on a podcast. <laughs> he loves to sing and dance and a little romance. Uh, and also with us is Sir. Mm, uh, I got nothing piffy for you, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just because I'm not piffy. <laughs> you, you, you are so piffy. I'm the Dark Lord of the Piff. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get a piff out of you. And also is Mr. David Pascarella. I'm completely no frills as well. No frills. No, this is a no frills podcast today. No frills, no pith, and no singing. Nah, we can't. I I can't. And now I'm thinking Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Stop that right now. (laughs) Oh, so today we're going to cover Profit and Lace, but before we do that, it has been a while since we have got together to record. I don't think there. I have no new Star Trek news. I don't know where. Uh, I, I don't. Have you watched the two shots that have debuted since last time we sat down? I have not yet. Oh uh, yes, that's right. That's right. Yes, I watched the. Uh, I don't. Uh, well, I remember the first one, and I have absolutely no memory of the second one. All right. Well, the first one was the one where Spock and Number One are trapped in an elevator or yes. a turbo lift, I suppose. That one was Love all right. An elevator. Yeah, I quite like that one. Rebecca Romine got more to do in that five minutes than she had in the entire second season of Discovery. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, okay. I did just remember the second one, and it was hilarious. Yes. Was it? No, oh, really? Yeah. It was dark. It was funny, but it was dark. And it, I mean, it, it was more a shock factor. That I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're doing that. Yeah, the shock, the sh- Andy is the so negative today. Yes, I am, because it's the second time Discovery have killed somebody and made a joke of it. Yeah. And the shock factor was that Tidy Whitey's is still around. Yeah, Tidy Whitey's. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh wait, Paul hasn't seen it. I mm. haven't. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I should have seen it well, by now. I well, had we the opportunity. Then? Only, only very briefly to say that um, in Star Trek, in every one of Star Trek's iterations until Discovery, people dying was a sad loss. There's an entire cat's pot I just watched last week. It's the episode of the original show. It's it's a fluffy Halloween episode. And the end of that episode, Bone says that it was all an illusion. Who could believe it? And Kirk says, not all an illusion. We still lost a crew member. And then Discovery comes along and kills two people. And it's funny. It's a punchline. It's well, a was, joke. What was the other death that they made fun of? Uh, the second episode. It was either the second or the first episode of Discovery when Pike and two crewmen are doing the halo jump. Uh, and they oh, kill that yeah. guy because he was mansplaining to Burnham because he dies it was supposed to be funny yeah and they kind of the set him up time. yeah and then they kill him and that's completely against what Star Trek well what I think Star Trek one of the things Star Trek's about which well, is know, the sanct- I mean, they kind of did that in this short too they kind of made this guy that's what know. I'm saying Yeah, this, this is the second time they've set somebody up to die to make a joke of it I can't believe that. Okay, well, somebody that as obviously disturbed as that guy was could get as far as he did in a military organization or even a scientific one. Yeah, I mean, it was weird seeing Sterling Archer's voice coming out of that guy. (laughs) Yes, yes, I was like... (laughs) Especially especially when you consider everyone else in Archer looks like the character. Mm Mm-hmm. But then you see that Sterling Archer. It's kind of ruined Archer for me. Well, see, I recognized him. I was like, you know, I swear this character's been on Family Guy, this this guy's voice. Yeah, and he looks mentioned. more like his Family Guy character than, mm. um, Archer. than his Archer character. Yeah. But they just made him so disturbing as an individual and dysfunctional, like a high-functioning Asperger's. Well, all, all these two did for me is make me think the only Star Trek character that's been in Discovery so far is Christopher Pike. Mm, yeah. And if they were going to do a prequel, let's just do that and forget about Discovery. Write it off as a bad idea. Anyway, good news. <laughs> <laughs> let's just, uh, well, uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll stay away from spoilers until Paul watches it. Okay, well, I, I have to say I kind of tuned out what you guys were talking about intentionally for a little while so I, so I I really wasn't paying attention which means is good cuz you didn't spoil anything for me yet. There's a lot of things explained that there's Got a some explaining line. to do. There's there's a timeline thing in that Andy that I'm thinking just doesn't make sense and it, it Discovery's timeline doesn't make <laughs> sense, Bill. You shock me, sir. I am shocked. Well, the the gambling going on in this establishment. The the said items or things that are manipulated and then sent somewhere, which causes a great war that was yeah. mentioned, I don't think really lines up, but I guess it could, you know, I don't know. Ah, yeah. But no, but the Discovery producers pay so much close attention to Cannon Bill. So what you're saying cannot possibly be true. You know, there's a commercial at the end of that episode, right? What time you work until? Because Dave, you yes. and I watched it together. Yeah, okay. yeah commercial for Triple Breakfast. <laughs> you gave it away. I was trying no, not sorry. to say what it was. Okay, it's it's about triples, Paul. Paul's not listening. Paul's gone. Okay, good. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, yeah. yeah, anyway, there's the two shots. The first one's all right because Michael Chabon wrote it. The second one. I suppose it depends how much you think the comedy works. 
will be how much you appreciate the episode. So, yeah, so I mean, the first one is... Uh, Paul, have you seen the first one? No. Okay. All right. I will well, watch them at some point, but I just They're stuck in an elevator, and basically, yeah. Uh, Vulcan in an elevator. Singing and dancing, they laughed and they cried. Yes, yes literally. I didn't mind that one. Yeah. I thought that one was okay. But it's more, you know, she, uh, you know, telling Spock to, to tone it down a bit. You, you're too non-Vulcan. What's wrong anyway. with you? Um, there's nothing else, is there? We knew when Picard was coming out. We've seen the trailers. We're all Did you see the new uniforms? It. I mean, they, they yes. send me emails over every little thing now. It's like, oh, please. Yeah, I've seen the new uniform. <laughs> looks all right. Yeah, but I don't care. <laughs> I, it's, it's, you know, it's not that I won't care when I'm watching it. If it looks cool, it's good. But yeah. I don't need an advanced preview on the new uniform. I don't care, you know, that, oh, let me drop everything. They got new uniforms. Yeah, I, I, I can honestly say that I agree with you 100%. That they've got new uniforms does not excite me at all. I don't need an email about it. Yeah. Who sent you an email? I get emails from some Star Trek website. I got on oh. their mailing list somehow, and I, I haven't made any effort to get off of it because, you know, maybe they're going to send me something that interests me at some point. But to be honest with you, uh, I generally read the title of the email see that it's something I really don't have any particular concern about and delete it without actually looking at the email. Ah, I see. Oh, well, you know, actually, the uh, there was some Star Trek news. The uh, the space baseball, the, uh, you know, the fall classic has finished. I think uh, it was fixed. I think they paid off the umps. How the hell did ah. the pack lids win? Please. I, I, I don't know, man. Um, you know, I they feel they're the best team. I mean, they were playing against the Tribbles, so... I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, the triples did outnumber them. Yeah, but, but every were... time, every time a Klingon walked into the arena, it became bedlam. Well, you know, there was a Klingon umpire too, so that maybe that had a lot to do with why the Packlets won. I'm just saying. Packlet does sound like a baseball name. <laughs> the Packlets. Mm. I mean, I mean, the triples could be, you know, they could have been souvenirs for the game. I mean, I, I'm or snacks. Maybe they used the triple <laughs> as the ball. Well, that's in Klingon baseball. They are, yeah. When the Klingons play, usually they have triple balls, triples, triple balls. Anyway, profit and lace. The battle of the sexes is on. Afraid of a little competition? But for Quark, I have a secret weapon. It's gonna be a real drag. Oh. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> What's the? Twenty-third episode of season six. You don't sound real ha- happy, Paul. I guess we'll get into that after synopsis. After yeah. synopsis. Directed by Alexander Siddig. We have another one of the uh, the the cast is the director, written by Iris Steven Bear and Hans Bimler. Hans. Hans. This is the, this is where we. This is the time in Sprockets where we dance. Anyway. Originally aired on May 13th, 1998, I have no idea where I was or what I was doing, and that stick is getting old, so we're just going to walk right by that. Uh, we have a lot of guest appearances in this. Henry Gibson? Anyone know who Yay, Henry Gibson Yay, I like him. A poem yeah. by Henry Gibson. <laughs> yes, also he was in uh, the Blues Brothers. Yes, he was. He was the uh, yeah. leader of Not the Illinois it. Nazis. Yeah, <laughs> I hate <laughs> Illinois Nazis. He was the uh, guy who always looked old, no matter when you saw him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a good point. I never thought of that. He was um, also a guy who wasn't funny, who was constantly playing on comedy shows. 
<laughs> and he, he looks old in Rowan and Martin's laughing. Yep. And he looked not yep. funny on that, too. Uh, we also have Jeffrey Coombs returning, not as Wayun, but as Brunt. Max Grudenchek as Rom. Aaron Eisenberg as Nog. Cicely Adams as Ishka. Chase Masterson as Layla. Lita. God! Lita. Lolita. Uh, Sylvan Cecil as okay, alright while Sean is the Grand Negus here we go Prophet and Lace the episode opens with Quark trying to persuade and out of the gate persuade one of his best waitresses to provide sexual favors for him Rom rushes in to declare that while trying to contact their mother Ishka he has lost contact with their home planet of Ferenginar he fears that the Dominion have taken over the planet. When they go and explain the situation to Captain Sisko, sensors pick up an incoming ship which is carrying both Grand Nagus Zek and Ishka. The Nagus explains that by changing the Ferengi Bill of Opportunities to allow women to wear clothes, he has caused planet-wide upheaval and has been replaced by former liquidator Brunt, who will be officially installed by the Commission at its next meeting. Shut up, dog! Quark, Rom, and Nog contact all 432 of the Ferengi commissioners to come to DS9 to meet and talk about the situation. Only one commissioner agrees, a.k.a. Henry Gibson. Brunt finds out about the upcoming meeting and arrives on the station to torment Quark and thwart his plans. After standing up to Brunt and throwing him out of the bar... Quark and his mother return to Quark's quarters. They get into a shouting match that causes her to suffer a heart attack. Heart attack, 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 attack. No. You and ought to know Dr. by now. You ought to know by now, not to yell at your mother. And Dr. Bashir performs a transplant. Mm, well, transgender reassignment. Or gender reassignment. Without Ishka to stand up and speak for herself at the meeting, Quark has Dr. Sh- Wait a minute. What? Wow. Oh, a transplant. Okay, yeah. He did do a transplant. I got ahead of myself. Without Ishka to stand up and speak for herself at the meeting, Quark has Dr. Bashir perform sex reassignment surgery in order to pose as a female named Lumba. La 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 Lumba. Do 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 do. To try and fool the commissioner. Over dinner, Quark slash Lumba, or Quamba, has to fend off the advances of the commissioner while explaining the benefits of the increase in the workforce and consumer base that Ferengi females would bring. Once in the commissioner's room, the commissioner goes into full assault, chasing Quark around the apartment. Finally, Brunt Brunt bursts in and tries to unmask Lumba as an imposter and a male. This fails when, quote-unquote, she removes her dress, revealing her female anatomy to Brunt and the commissioner. Of course, now I picture Bugs Bunny throwing off the towel going, ah! Convinced, the commissioner pledges his support to Zek. Later... Quark's sex change is reversed, and Zek and Ishka leave the station, anticipating Zek's restoration as Grand Nagus. Quark, still experiencing the hormonal fluctuations from the sex change, apologizes to the waitress he harassed at the start of the episode and gives her a raise. The end. Okay, so how are we going to rate this? So, well, can <laughs> well, can can this one be looked me. at in total seriousness now? Can this be looked at seriously where or not seriously but just for entertainment value where you eliminate from your consciousness the whole sexual (laughs) sexual harassment uh, harassment aspect of it 
If, in, and, 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 and obviously we, we need to discuss that. That's going to need to be discussed. But can it be looked at without that in, it, in any way? I, yeah, you could if you excise yes. the beginning and the end. Where the no, fact no, that if, if you change the ending so Quark actually learns something about his behavior, then yes, you can take the episode as it is. If you yep. just ignore the ending, there's a lot of good acting in this. Some of the dialogue is very, very funny. Some of the, like, just the casual asides and the one-liners are very amusing. There's a lot of laughs in this. But there's a whole sour feeling to the entire endeavor that ultimately are like, no. The original show gets a lot of flack, and it was never as sexist as this episode. Well, yeah. I mean, the fact that the, the waitress character, she... At, at, at the end, she's like, oh, she was, like, ready to go along with it. Like, oh, what? Yeah, well, that's that's what I sent Paul a text message saying, did we really just watch an episode of Star Trek where the main character in the show sexually harasses somebody? But it's okay, because she's really into it. Yeah, which is just a, a crazy, crazy ending. I just, you know, I, I can't imagine sitting there and writing it and saying, yeah, this is the way to go. We're going yeah. we're, we're to stick the landing with this one. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could say, well, of course, this would be, you know, because it's written by a man. You, you know, you could say, well, of course she was into it. You no, know, aren't all women into it? Oh, you know. I mean, I'm <laughs> sure there's some people that would be. But on a network show, I mean, well, somewhat network. It was in syndication, but still. And I, I, I honestly don't think this is a, a case of looking back at it and being more enlightened now and all of that bullshit that you sometimes have to put up with. I honestly can't imagine this was a good idea in 1997. No. I don't think it's I ever mean, a good idea. No, I mean, I think it's one of those things that if my daughter came home and said her boss had said that to her, I'd probably be in a jail cell. Yeah. Yeah, I think this was on the way out in the 90s as well. Yeah. I just, I, and I think it's especially egregious that we've just watched that documentary where they all pat themselves on the back about how, how important and progressive Deep Space Nine was. And the show's creators, the show's executive producers, wrote this episode. Mm. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it's... They wrote it after having a lunch with Harvey Weinstein. I, I just... <laughs> you know, I got this great idea. I just yeah. can't imagine that executive they're, sitting, that they're sitting there in the writer's room, like we saw in, in the special, and that they came up with these ideas... Uh, not, not that they came with the ideas. I can understand coming up with the ideas because you're spitballing things and maybe you, you, yeah, know, you yeah, come yeah. up with something that doesn't you know, really work. But I can't understand how somebody didn't say, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Really? Yeah. Let's yeah. tweak that a little bit. Let's fix that and make that just a little bit more normal. Even the initial conversation. You know, it's one thing where you say, you know, looking at the episode as a whole and if you say well Quark grew in the course of the episode so uh, you know we, 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 we could somehow make it acceptable no no I'm saying if you change the ending yeah. uh, but even even if you did that coming into the episode it's reprehensible the way he's speaking to yeah. her and over the six seasons we've known him he should have grown more than that already it shouldn't Thank be up you. to this episode for it to happen that yeah, was exactly this, my this, problem with it yeah. this the, would be more of a Quark first is, season Episode. No, no, I don't even think in the first season. We have never oh. seen Quark be hit on his Darbo girls to that level. Basically, I'll give you a promotion if you do my earlobes. Well, no, yeah, I forgot. He's a businessman first. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I, I, now, he's, he's, I get that he may run a slight little prostitution ring on the side, 
if a Darbo girl wants to earn some extra money from a passing Klingon who's just on the station for the night, as long as he gets his cut, he's probably okay with it. I don't think he's a pimp, but I think he'd be okay with that. I don't think he would ever proposition one of his Darbo girls. He's told him to, you know, slow a bit more boobage. He's told them to be a bit more friendly toward the clientele. He has never hit on them in so sleazy a way before as this episode. I hate to make it this... To, okay, he's never sampled the merchandise. Yeah. Yeah. When, when the show be opens, and I, I kind of forgot what happened in this one until I did my rewatch. When the show opened, then he starts saying, you know, nobody's complained about you. The customers love you. I thought it was going to be like, that. this can't stand. You need to be cheating them. You need to be getting their money. Yeah. You need to be getting these customers upset with you or you're doing something wrong. I thought that's yeah. where we were going, and that would have been actually oh, kind of oh, amusing. Yeah. Oh, you're, yeah, you're not picking their pockets when you're being friendly to them. That kind of, I want some extra latinum for this. I know you're getting big tips. Mm. Had it gone that way, I, I would have been, you know, fine with it. And then we could have moved forward with the episode the same way and yeah. just not had the stupid opener and closer. And even the episode itself, the whole, you know, the, 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 this, this, the sex change that he goes through and then with him trying to romance the guy. I mean, it's it, it really is just kind of, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's... It just doesn't fit. It doesn't feel right. It didn't feel funny to me. I, I'm, I'm back to doing my Billy Crystal on, on Howard Stern, if you remember that. Uh, they had, uh, what's his name, Gary Delabati, like, asked him a stupid question, you know, because they, they do that. And, and he, he, Billy Crystal just turns to him, tell Howard, it's not fun, and it's not funny. And that's what I felt about this episode. <laughs> it's not fun, and it's not funny. <clears throat> Well, well, looking at the whole episode from an enlightened perspective, we're, we're focused on, you know, the fail of Quark sexually harassing his employee. The whole episode, to me, is a fail because they're trying to show how the Ferengi are going to maybe come out of this, you know, of treating women equally to, to men. But yet the problem is a woman's not the one who proves the point. She yeah. collapses. And they have to replace her with a man, and, and the man gets the job done. Yeah, I, I agree. It's 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 a bad. It's a it's a if if you're trying to show some growth there, it's it's a bad it's a bad message that they're giving. <laughs> yeah, and especially I honestly thought we were going to find out that Brunt had poisoned Moogie, because mm. that would have made sense. He's taking her out so that. Grand Negasek fails, and then when this other woman shows up, he's like, where the hell she come from? And But they didn't go that route. So even that didn't really work. And as the comedy, like I said, there's a couple of funny lines. I mean, I love Worf's opening line. Well, you know, a Dominion invasion of Ferengi now. Think of the repercussions to the Alpha Quadrant. And Worf's like, I cannot think of any. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that that's a great genuinely, line. Yeah, that was genuinely funny. Like, the loss of Ferengi now would mean jack all. But the episode as well just points all the holes in in the Ferengi system. It doesn't make sense that 52% of the population doesn't make money if they're all about making money. It doesn't make sense that the women all walk around with no clothes on because Ferengi now, it pisses down all the time. We've actually seen what the weather's like. Nobody's going to do that. So the, the coming from an interesting idea, let's show that Ferengi now is progressing ever so slightly, and then they fuck it up completely. Like Dave said, they, they just completely bollocks it. Right. Don't disagree with a word you're saying. <laughs> I did like uh, the line that they use with it, teaching Quark to be a woman. It says, don't walk, glide. Yeah, glide. 
You would think you would think that uh, Avery uh, Brooks directed the episode. I wonder if that was a nod to Avery Brooks. Now that we've seen the behind the scenes on the um, the documentary, I wonder if that was a little bit of a nod to him. Very possible. Mm. Or maybe not even a knock, just so much as an inside joke. Yeah, yeah, just a little a little gag. Because despite the fact that he seemed to be a very different kind of cat, uh, I, it seemed <laughs> to me like everybody liked him. Yeah, so I don't think exactly. I don't think they'd necessarily try to knock him so much as have fun with him. Yeah, I think that's that's more the case. I think they, they've slid that in as a little bit of an inside joke about um, Cisco. Sorry, Every Brooks's directing style. But yeah, I I don't really have a lot on this one because I just I just end up watching most of it with my head in my hands. Well, and that but that's where I come back to what I said at the beginning is, you know, the the bad social justice messages and. Uh, you know, if if we could set that all aside, and you just try to look at it as a fun kind of episode, you know, Ferengi, we got Wallace Shawn on here, we got Jeffrey Combs doing Brunt. You know, usually those are fun episodes. And despite being able to separate the message from the episode, I still didn't like it. I still didn't find it all that entertaining. The line from Worf was by far to me the highlight of the of the episode. Uh, but the whole, you know quark dressing up as a woman or you know having a sex change actually you know i guess that was the one shocking thing was when they tried to reveal him it turned out that he was a woman that he had the sex Hmm. change operation uh but and and obviously it's easily reversible in in that particular time in science but again just i just didn't find it that entertaining i found it kind of more cringeworthy than anything else yeah, I I did as well. I didn't. There's a there's some funny lines in it. The actors are all doing their best. God bless them. But um, yeah, no, I didn't think I, the performances were necessarily bad. No, I think they're all doing what they can to make a story work where they don't quite know what they're doing with it. Is it supposed to be a light comedy romp, or is there supposed to be serious undertones to it? I think it's and supposed the, to be a little combination of those. I think it's supposed to be a light romp with a with a very special message about how women are equal and all of that. Except they just totally dropped the ball on sending yeah. the message. I think they I think they had good intentions and they did so very very badly. And and I put the blame on somebody in the writers' room who didn't say whoa 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 what are you talking about? Yeah, I mean <laughs> women I, I, are I women are equal, but you need a man to get the job done. Yeah, that's that's a good message to send. And they like being sexually harassed. That's yeah. the other message. <laughs> mm. Now smack her on the butt and go get me a, uh, a cigarette or whatever. Yeah, and it's it's no wonder that uh, Jadzia and and Kira are barely in this one. You, you know, if I was those actresses, I probably would have refused to be in it. Yeah, I'd have said this gets a rewrite, or I'm not doing it. So, you know, I mean, on the plus side, uh, this is regularly referred to as one of the worst episodes of the show. Yeah, I, I looked up on, on uh, just to give you a little bit, on Screen Rant, they have a uh, an article, the 15 worst Star Trek episodes of all time, and it's all the different series. This was rated number nine. So mm-hmm. I'm going to just read, it's just two paragraphs. Prophet and Lace tries to follow in the footsteps of great Star Trek episodes of the past by addressing a hot-button issue which plagues our own world. In this case, that issue is women's rights. The episode sees Quark undergo a sex change in order to convince a commissioner that Ferengi women deserve better treatment. It's supposed to be a Tootsie-type deal in which Quark learns 
learns about the struggles of, a, of women by becoming one himself. Instead, Quark acts in ways that simply reinforce every negative idea about women that he went into the episode believing were true. The female version of Quark is obsessed with body image, prone to emotional outbursts, and overly dramatic. It's a slapstick portrayal of women ripped straight from the era they contained that contained the very beliefs that this episode is supposed to be condemning. Despite all of this, Quark st still somehow learns a lesson and starts to treat women better. Maybe getting to see firsthand how bad women are portrayed in entertainment gave him perspective. I don't think he does. I don't think he learns a lesson at the end of this. Well, the only thing she's is... All, when ahead. she's all, actually, this looked like fun, he's all, okay! He's not. I don't think he's learned a damn thing in this episode. But the thing is, he's learning a false lesson because Quark wouldn't have done this in the first place. So, you know, Star Trek 101, which is a book by Paul LeBlot named this the worst episode of Deep Space Nine. Wow. And, okay, so now we, we have <laughs> we have all had our worst episode ever. We, we, we've been kind of undisputed since season one as to what the worst episode ever is. Oliver Rain! <laughs> does, does this beat it out as a worse episode? Yeah, because because Move Along Home is at least funny, even unintentionally, but it's at least funny. And it's not a betrayal of what the show is supposed to be about, which I felt this was. Well, you know, even, even the original show, I keep saying this, I do a lot of shows about the original show on Palace because I love the original show. And there are elements of sexism in the original show because of when it was made. The original show never did anything this bad, ever. I agree. Now the now move along home just for perspective. Uh, Sean gave it a one. I gave <laughs> it a one. And Andy, uh, you were its defender, if you remember. Yeah, by default. You, you gave it a one point five. Yes, I did give it a one point five. I'm giving this a one. Oh, we're already rating it. <laughs> yeah. I'm giving it a point five. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna. I, I have to put it as worse than D, than then move along home because i am going to say this is the worst episode yet hopefully uh, we don't I, hopefully we don't see anything that that competes I with don't it i don't think we will no i'm giving it a one only because i do love some of the some of the dialogue is genuinely funny i'm giving it a 0.5 for Worf's line alone that's <laughs> that's it <laughs> all right that's fair enough <laughs> i cannot think of otherwise that. it would get a zero <laughs> michael dawn's delivery of that line is genius hmm I'm going to give it five. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it five Harvey Weinsteins. Oh. Yeah. Could you fit yeah, five, yeah, five Harvey one. Weinsteins in a room? One one lonely Harvey Weinstein at a table in jail. Oh. <clears throat> I'm going to give it a point five as well. This is <laughs> the worst thing I've ever seen. Now, so, so now this tests the theory of... You know, even better, bad Star Trek is better than other things, and I think it kind of disproves that statement because. No, let's see, because if you only catch this after the opening credits and you check out before the epilogue, you've got a mildly diverting show. It's not good. So you're defending it now. <laughs> Although by default, I, I seem to have ended up in that position, just like with Move Along Home, and I think there's enough in it. If you've only caught it as of the opening credit commercials, and you 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 get distracted from watching the end of it. There's, a, there's some fun to be had from the Ferengi all rallying around to try and bring down Brunt. Um, but even the writers realised that this was the end of the road for Ferengi episodes and they didn't do another one. So that tells you everything you need to know. So if you cut out the beginning and the end, yeah, maybe it could be a two. Yeah, possibly. Because yeah, some mean, of the dialogue is funny. 
if if we take that perspective that you get rid of that that whole uh, you know basically the tags the opening tag and the closing tag uh, where does it fall then I still think it does a very poor job of, of showing you know the message it's trying to show as Dave pointed out it, and it, yes. ultimately it's a yes. man who has to do it um, <laughs> but there are a couple of moments that that it would probably if you took off the very offensive beginning and end it's probably a one or a 1.5 for me instead of a 0.5 it brings it up a little bit and it's it's not i was gonna say it's not unwatchable but it's cringeworthy and cringeworthy generally means unwatchable so i'm not sure um does it pass the spataro flick test no no it doesn't this one does not if i see that this one is on i'm just going to keep changing channels in fact if i'm if i'm sitting alone i'm going to keep changing channels if i'm sitting there with tina and this episode is on i'm changing the channels really quickly (laughs) because i don't want her to say see that crap show you watch look at this (laughs) you know the last thing i want to do is is have you know one of my favorite shows offend somebody who who's going to have an influence over what i watch maybe we we could have done with the lady panelist for this one where's angela Get her over she here. Didn't, she didn't watch it. I watched it at the gym. <laughs> All right. So she's off the hook this time. Yeah. She, well, I, I, don't, I don't even know where I was going to go with that. So. Well, since uh, um, I guess we'll have to see what Blaine said. Blaine. What does he say? What does he? What did Blaine say? Is he going to rip it a new one or is he just going to let it go or say it's the greatest? Deep Space Nine ever. I, I doubt he's going to say that. Blaine had a lot to say about this one. So, <laughs> hi, guys. I like the idea of the Ferengi finally giving women more rights. I'd have preferred to see it come from Federation influence. But Ishka's influence on Zek also works. Unfortunately, that's about all that works here. The social message they intended to convey is a great one. Sadly, the choice of jokes to add humor to the Ferengi episode do so much to undermine the message that it almost sends the opposite. Quark's experience taught him to respect women, which would have been great had it lasted all the way through the episode and beyond instead of getting undone in seconds when Alora chooses to provide Umax. That's another thing that bothers me, almost as a sign of a lack of attention to detail. If it's the females that give umax to me, umax to men, and if females were only al- allowed to collect profit a couple of days before this episode began, then who was the umax for fun and profit written for? The women giving the umax weren't allowed to earn profit, so it couldn't <clears throat> be them. That means it would be written for the business owners. So why is Quark giving it to her instead of just quoting it when he talks to her? Similarly, why did he become so much more emotional just because he was female, especially six hours after the operation when he asked Odo for a hug? This should have been empowering for women with the initial concept, but instead it, instead it paints Ishka as the exception, shows that women are incredibly emotional and somewhat vain when you look at Quark's behavior during and after the operation, and implies that they should sexually submit to men, both in how Quark won over Nilva and how Alora ended the episode. This should have had at least one more rewrite to remove the comedic elements and deal with the subject matter properly. Or maybe this concept should have been scrapped entirely and sexism covered in an entirely different way. Blaine. Yeah, so clearly Blaine agrees with us as far as, uh, you know, its it's intent is good, its execution is horrible. Mm -hmm. Could, could, okay. Could you explain Quark's behavior and the way he's acting as a woman 
as subliminally how he thinks not 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 a hormonal thing but how he i'm not saying it's any better what i'm about to say how he thinks a woman should act you see see how i'm saying that wasn't any better but no it's not (laughs) as somewhat of an explanation as to why you know he was being emotional because he thinks he's supposed to be more emotional just because he is now a female why why it would happen so quickly I think you you make a much better episode than they did, and because not for would, the first time. It would make a lot more sense. So I, I have to act like a woman. This is how a woman acts. Like maybe they should have said that. Oh, oh, Odo should have said, "Are you just acting like this because you think you're supposed to act like that?" And called it out and made note of it would have been better than just you know, it's just a silly woman. Yeah, but he had Lita showing him what to do. Uh, well, so, so bad. <laughs> well, and, uh, you know, I don't think we've ever really brought this up before, but is the fact that, is there something to be said about how the writers treat Iska? Is that she is manipulating Zek or that she has influence? In, like, are they subliminally saying, like, is it in the back of their minds that women are subvertive and manipulative <laughs> i don't think that's a message they're trying to send in fact that's, like i said I th- they're trying to it but i never thought of it until i was reading the first you know the first sentence that, that beast uh, didn't like the episode up, you know it says but but it's just influence on zach and i was like well, yeah she does influence him you know or, or maybe that's my subliminal feelings about she's nancy reagan <laughs> just say no Zeki. i uh i think you know like i said I, I think they had good intentions i think they were trying to to send a positive message uh, but i think in their efforts to add humor to it they totally totally uh just dropped the ball and 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 sent the exact opposite message of what their intention was which is just kind of frightening that again that that nobody could see that they were doing making that mistake uh yeah i think i think you know the message that you're seeing there bill i think it is in the episode i just don't think they intended it to be in there well we do have a new email so uh is it from the spatula messiah i believe it is uh andy i believe you're contractually obligated to read this are you ready what, 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 what's my motivation? What? what? <laughs> my motivation is my lovely gingerbread latte that has just been provided for me by my mother-in-law. Thank you. Mm. Mother-in-law staying with oh, you? Oh, latte. Gingerbread latte. I thought, uh, a, I thought a ginger cat jumped up on you or something. No, my gingerbread latte in my in a Starbucks cup. Would Angela's mom, mom mind bringing me some over here? Uh, it would probably be a bit of a journey, to be fair. It might get cold by the time she gets here. Yes, we need warm because at the moment we can't have any heating on. Really? Hi. Yes. Right, the radiator just... in our bedroom is leaking everywhere. Oh, there must uh, have been a wild time there. Yeah, so we're, we're waiting for the nice man to come and fix it for us, but at the moment we can't have the heating on, so it's fucking freezing! Oh, so you need uh, Dick Van Dyke to come around as the chimney sweep and yes. sweep out your chimney, eh? You can't blind me, Governor. Mary Poppins. So we'll clean out your chimney sweep. Chim chimney. All right, he, Lady Angela. He was so he was so authentic. Out. He was Wait, great. that was an Australian chimney sweep. It was an Australian chimney sweep. I don't know where you're coming from, mate. We don't have chimneys in Australia. 
Wait, that was uh, like a Southern Australian. Uh, <laughs> should God. I read this email? Yeah, yeah please. Go ahead. All right. Before I butcher another accent. The spatula Messiah. Messiah? Messiah? Miss Moneypenny, bring me my spatula Messiah, Miss Moneypenny. Run along, this is man talk. Speaking of sexism. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Occupation Arc episode, season six, episodes one through six. Thank you very much for that. Uh, oh. Uh oh. There goes the, the cat. The cat just ran across my keyboard and dived into the cat litter trap. <laughs> hey, it's all happening here. Events like that usually only happen at Bill's house. Yeah. And the litter dumped into your latte, and Andy's like, <laughs> Listeners, I haven't commented in a while. Things got busy, but I'm glad you got so much out of the first few episodes of season six. Thanks for doing each one individually, even as you notice they're hard to evaluate in isolation. I'm a big believer that no matter how serialized TV gets, each episode is still a discrete bit of content, often with a different writer, director, etc., than the chunks before and after it. Any kind of multi-part story, bit of two-parter or serialized arc, from the pre-binge era was made under the assumption that it would be presented to the viewer in 43-minute chunks a week apart from each other. So it's totally reasonable to evaluate whether or not a specific episode entertained you or interested you and what it did right and wrong. I agree with you that Rocks and Shoals is a particular highlight of a strong batch of episodes. Damn, Keevan the Vorter is loathsome. And that Sons and Daughters is clearly the weak link. Most of your criticism was directed at the Wharf Alexander story, which isn't very good. But I also feel like the stuff on the station with Kira and Kat seems like she's backsliding from an amazing moment in Rocks and Shoals when she literally looks in the mirror and decides who she wants to be. Kira's story plays much better if you pretend that Sons and Daughters comes before Rocks and Shoals. And I believe that they were originally written that way and that the order was changed after the writers decided late in the process to do a through line with team cisco getting marooned in a time to stand doing the battles on the planet in rocks and shoals and they're getting picked up by the rotaran in s and d oh yeah sons and daughters sorry a bit of a shame by the time i send this you'll have long ago recorded your thoughts on sacrifice of angels and especially in the ending with the prophets intervening i try to convince myself that it's not too much for dear ex machina because of the ominous portents that there's going to be some sacrifice to come and because of the DI, the delay in question, I don't know what he's wrote there, that would have been a fundamental part of the series since episode one. I still, no, I don't, the prophets? Does he mean the prophets? I don't know what he, sorry, I don't know what you mean there, Ben. But I still kind of hate that they went that route. One simple way to fix the episode that wouldn't require much rewriting would have been to have Cisco make a heat of the moment choice to enter the wormhole with the agenda of begging the prophets to defend their territory. That would have put a new spin on his rule. I'm also an emissary to you, but speaking on behalf of Bejo, and also would have forced the character to make a conscious choice to place his life in the hands of the prophets. That sounds like a title of an episode. Not trying to complain about the show too much since again it's such a great sequence of episodes any criticism comes from a place of love best ben thank you ben yeah you got we, we, that we, without we, ever saying tissum tissum i didn't say tissum tissum no tissum just sounds like i'm sneezing dude ah. anyway there's nobody have anything to say about ben's email uh thank you ben yes it was much appreciated as are all emails yeah no it really it really email. is and and you know it's, it's well thought out and and <laughs> i don't really have a lot to add to it uh, so but i do you know i do appreciate the thoughts and i and i i don't want to dismiss it because you know things like that add con add quality content to our show and, and i really do appreciate it yeah and if you want to email in it's listen to the profits at gmail.com do we have anything else uh, well i was just wondering what we're going to do next time <laughs> next time an all new episode of listen to the prophets molly becomes time's often a hole in time molly how do we get molly back 
transforms O'Brien's child, pulled her out ten years too late, into a savage. Now, his ideal family, we're never going to be apart again, is about to face... No! The ultimate nightmare. Molly! Captain, don't let them take her away. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I have a question Aww. before we end it, and, and I was going to save it for that episode, but I'd rather put it out there as something to think about uh, between now and then, is does this count as a Torture O'Brien episode? I yes. Was, yep. I was going to say we now have the torture, you know, it's the O'Briens, torture the O'Briens. Yeah, I, I agree with Dev. This is a Torture O'Brien episode. So something to look forward to in two weeks, everybody. All right, see you all next time. Yeah, I'll come back now. You hear? Listen to the prophets at Deep Space Nine podcast is a two true freaks presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you'd like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the twotruefreaks.com website, where if you click the little link that we have there, it will take you straight through that site, and whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. Is Dave suddenly a ventriloquist? <laughs> no, Dave said yes. At the same time, I, I said yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I didn't hear Dave. Some of us, Bill, pay attention <laughs> to the other people on the call. <laughs> Drink your latte. Some of us don't make it all about themselves, Bill. <laughs> You're just an emotional Englishman. 